Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Hallelujah. Amos chapter 8, if you would join me there. In June 2nd of the year 2020, a woman named Emily Sims received a Guinness Book World Record for the largest library fine ever paid. She paid $345.14, even though she wasn't the actual one who had borrowed the book. She had discovered the book titled Days and Deeds. It was a book of children's poems in her mother's house. The due date stamped on the inside cover was April 19th, 1955. The fine had been accumulating at two cents per day when she finally paid it 47 years later. Now that's what you call long overdue. Some of y'all can remember the days of Blockbuster. Maybe some of y'all are still in debt due to Blockbuster fees. But there is a problem with things that go overdue or out of date. My wife is careful to look at every date on every piece of food that we have in our house. Because once the date passes, you never know what's going to happen next. In the scripture we're about to read, we find God speaking to His people, the children of Israel, through the prophet Amos. And Amos provides to us from God a fascinating vision which illustrates both God's patience and God's righteousness. How many thank God for His patience? God is also righteous and just. And in this vision, we find an illustrative combination of those two things. And my prayer is that you and I would realize that God as a righteous judge cannot, His patience cannot last forever. So while we do have God's patience, oftentimes we are dealing with judgment that is overdue. And that's what we find in this scripture. I want you to join me in Amos chapter 8, verse 1, where it says these words, Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? So I said, a basket of summer fruit. And the Lord said to me, the end of has come upon my people Israel, I will not pass by them anymore. And I hope, uh, I hope that there will be some encouragement when we get to the end of this message. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience and your kindness, God. God, we thank you that you are also holy and righteous and just. We're praying, God, that you would help us, give us wisdom in these last days that we're living in, God, where your judgment is surely to pass upon the culture and the people around us. 
Give your people wisdom and clarity not to be included in that judgment. Lord, that we might be lights shining in a dark and a desperate world. We give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. This sermon is titled, A Basket of Summer Fruit. And I also have a subtitle, Navigating God's Judgment on a Rebellious Generation. That's what we find in this scripture. And I want to first share with you what is the meaning, what is the, what is the uh, interpretation of this vision that God gave to Amos, a bowl, a basket of summer fruit. Now, did you ever buy a bunch of bananas? Oftentimes, uh, uh, in my line of work, uh, I, I work with people who don't know how to use their computers, so that tends to be older people. And so I get to talk to older people, and my definition of older people is, you know, 60, 70 and above. And uh, uh, you, some of you are looking at me and saying, oh, you're an older person. But uh, one guy that I talked to, I was having a great time with him, and he was telling me some things. And, you know, he, he says, I'm old enough that I don't even buy green bananas anymore. <laughs> Because he's uh, unsure that he's going to be able to enjoy the fruit by waiting a week for the green bananas to become ripe. And so have you ever had the experience of buying too many bananas? You get the bunch that's too big. And so, you know, you eat your normal rate of bananas if you've got a house that likes bananas. And you eat one or two a day and, you know, by the time a week has passed, you're looking at the bananas and they are starting to turn colors. And what does this do to you? In, in our house, uh, to a certain degree, <laughs> it causes a sense of urgency. we got to eat these bananas. Something needs to be done. I'm sick of bananas. I don't want a banana. Yeah, but look, they're turning brown. And if we don't eat them, bad things are coming next. In one more day, it's the day before the day, in one more day they were going to Go from good to bad. In just a few days, or even in in a few hours, we're going to look at those bananas, and they're going to turn from a blessing to a curse. In just a few days, if we do nothing, those wonderful, healthy uh, fruits, if they are not enjoyed now, what happens next? They will begin to rot. They will begin to attract flies and mold. And if you leave them there, they will begin to stink and fill your house with a rotten stench. Now hopefully you can get a sense of why God said that my people Israel are like a bowl, a basket of summer fruit. He says, I've been passing by the bowl, I've been passing by the bowl, and soon I will not be able to pass it anymore. It's the thought of a bowl of fruit which, if not dealt with now, will soon become ruined he is speaking about his judgment and if you go on to read the rest of this chapter god is going to describe how he is going to judge his people israel doesn't it say the judgment begins in the house of the lord so before we go pointing at the world and how wicked they are god is is even more interested in bringing a redemption healing to his people I want to tell you, sometimes healing comes along with a difficult process. And Nisha said, Amen. Healing, many times, is a process of getting worse before things get better. 
your body has to go into a fever before it can break in order to deal with infection. So God's interpretation of this bowl, He says uh, that the end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. That same scripture in the New Living Translation. Like this fruit, Israel is ripe for punishment. I will not delay their punishment again. Message Translation says, I'm calling it quits with my people Israel. I will no longer act as if everything is just fine. I want to say, I believe that there is a spirit of entitlement, not just in the world, but in the church, that we are entitled to our comfortable church services, that we are entitled to God's blessing, that we are entitled to receiving from God all that we perceive that He owes to us. And this is how Israel began to feel at the time. If we get some deeper context here, you will know that the prophet Amos was uh, active in prophesying during the final days of the northern kingdom of Israel. There was a time that Israel was split into northern and southern kingdoms, and this is during the final days before great calamity will come upon the nation. But at this moment, it's a time of great military power. It's a time of great economic prosperity. There is peace in the land for most people. There is joy. There is happiness. There is comfort. There is ease. That they're doing well. Does it remind you of anything? Remind you of any place you might know about? And Amos, in this good time that they're having, is approaching them, often like Jeremiah, with a message of condemnation. He hopes to expose the true spiritual condition of his nation. And what he is saying, what God is saying through him, you're wealthy, you're powerful, but you're spiritually destitute. You're enjoying peace and safety and prosperity. But right now, you don't realize it, you're in the midst of a spiritual drought. It's like uh, Jesus, when he rebuked the church in Revelation, he said, uh, you, you're doing many things, but you've left your first love. You're active, you're involved, there's lots of things happening, lots of action. But the most important thing has been lost. Amos is preaching to them a message that exposes their hypocrisy. And this message lets the people of Israel know that there is judgment coming on their land and on their homes. And how does God judge His people in this time? The Bible goes on to tell us that there is a famine that's about to fall in their land. This judgment, I believe, is also falling in our time. A time where we, here in America, are enjoying the most wealth and comfort and convenience and prosperity that the world has ever known. May I just remind you, you are living better today than kings and queens from a hundred years ago. You are living uh, with more lifespan, with greater health, you are living with more convenience, more information at your fingertips, greater knowledge, and yet we lack so much when it comes to spiritual realities. Isn't that true? That there is, uh, though we have such great resources and wealth available to us, incredible opportunity, and yet it seems that the world only gets crazier, more craven, desperate, despondent, and inventing, like it says in Romans, inventing new forms of evil. 
That's what we're seeing. And so the picture of a bowl of ripe fruit is exactly a good picture for us today. Where everything looks great, man. From the outside, it is wonderful. You can enjoy this fruit. But give it a day. Give it two days. And pretty soon, you're going to see that that fruit is not all that it looks. It begins to rot from the inside out. It begins to stink and fester. I love that word. It begins to, uh, to, to change color and begin a stench from the inside. I believe, unfortunately, that this is our culture. It's going to get worse before it gets better. I'm not here to preach doom and gloom. I just want you to know the reality, folks. The Bible in our scripture, in, in the book of Amos, describes the worst possible kind of famine. Now, famines are terrible. I know nobody here knows what a, a real famine is like. Uh, hopefully you don't. But famines are horrible. The United Nations defines a famine as a time when at least 20% of households in a certain area face extreme food shortages, malnutrition rates exceed 30%, and two or more people per 10,000 are dying every day. That's the technical definition of a famine. And some examples of this back in 2011 in the nation of Somalia. There was a severe famine that killed 260,000 people. The famine was declared in July, but most of the people had already died by the month of May 2011. Uh, going back to the 90s in North Korea, there was a severe famine there due to a combination of flooding and repressive government policy. Between the years of 95 and 99, between 2.8 and 3.5 million people died. They starved to death. And you know the sad part about that is in America, very few people even knew about it. Going back a little bit further in the nation of Ethiopia, under the Marxist policies of Mengistu Maryam, who began abandoning in 1990 some economic reforms and left the country ravaged in in the years of 1984 to 85, this famine, up to one million Ethiopians starved to death. And starvation is a horrible way to die. Bodies begin to dry up. The body fat is depleted. Limbs shrivel. People become walking skeletons. Maybe you've seen pictures from World War II in the gas chambers and those bodies which are barely more than skin and bone. Faces take on a hollow expression. Disease runs rampant while immune systems are compromised. And when there is no food, there is no life. Death is close behind. Famines are terrible. And the famine of the lack of food, as terrible as that is, is not the worst kind of famine you can experience. The worst kind of famine is described in our Bible, in our Scripture. In verses 11 and 12, and I want you to pay close attention. This is not for lack of food. The people of Israel have food enough and to spare. But God says, I'm going to bring a different kind of famine. One that's even worse than that. Verse 11, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. 
Now listen to me carefully, church. The famine of the words of the Lord is the worst possible kind of famine that you can imagine. Now there are two ways to understand this kind of famine. The first interpretation is God saying to His people, I will no longer speak to you. And that's very possible. The second way that we could read this and interpret this is that I will continue speaking, but you will be able no longer to hear me. Your ears will be closed to my voice. You will not be in tune to the frequency that I am broadcasting. And whether it is situation number one where God simply stops speaking to them, or situation number two where they cannot hear Him any longer, the situation is dire either way. When the famine for the Word of God begins to starve us, not physically, but spiritually. Now think. Think of those horrible pictures that came from the death camps of Nazi Germany. Think of those walking skeletons. And I wonder how many of them are walking through the aisles of churches this morning in the United States of America. We, yet they might be fat in their flesh. We have a problem with obesity in our nation today. But if you could see with spiritual eyes, if you could see from the perspective of heaven, I wonder how many of God's people are spiritually starving either because their sin has continued so long God says, I can't speak to you anymore. Or because situation number two, God is desperately crying out to you, but you are not hearing Him. I refuse to hear. I refuse to listen. God calls out His people Israel. In verses 4-6 through of our Scripture, He is calling out their hypocrisy. In verse 4 He says, Listen to this, you who rob the poor and trample down the needy. You can't wait for the Sabbath day to be over and the religious festivals to end so that you can get back to cheating the helpless. You measure out grain with dishonest measures and cheat the buyer with dishonest scales. You mix the grain you sell with chaff swept from the floor. Then you enslave poor people for one piece of silver or a pair of sandals. God is calling out His people in these arenas. He's saying, look, you, are, you, have, the, the, you have the show, you have the performance of piety. You go to the Sabbath celebrations, but as you're sitting there, you are thinking, I can't wait to get out of here. Because all it is, is a performance. And God is saying to them, look, I have been patient with you. I have been trying to reach you. I have been speaking to you. I have been whispering in your ear, but you can't hear me. He says you are dishonest in your measures, in your business, in what you buy and sell. And God says, I've tried. I've tried to look over this because I care about you, but I can't. You know, the Bible says that if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. And even in Proverbs, it says, if, if you do not chasten your son, that means you hate him. Aren't you glad God doesn't hate you? Because God loves you, He has to bring correction sometimes. When we are living in disobedience, when we are distant, when we are stubborn, They were involved in these feast days and sacrifices, but they were so bored with the things of God, they just wanted to get back to their true love, money. 
They couldn't wait. I just need to get my store open. You know, because Sabbath day, you can't buy, you can't sell things, can't engage in business. And they're just looking at their proverbial watches, saying, when can we get back to marketplace so we can exploit the poor and line our pockets? This response from God to rob them, to starve them of His Word, is, listen carefully, exactly what they wanted. God said, if you don't want my word, I will take it from you. George Whitfield, famous English preacher, said, as, as God can send a nation or people no greater blessing than to give them faithful, sincere, and upright ministers, so the greatest curse that God can possibly send upon people in this world is to give them over to blind, carnal, lukewarm, and unskillful guides. The blind leading the blind. And so it is when we refuse to heed the Word of God that He will simply remove it. You didn't want to listen, so I'm going to stop speaking. This is exactly what Jesus echoes in Matthew 13. Whoever has, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whoever does not have, even from him shall be taken away what he does have. This is what we are experiencing in our culture, church. The, the world says, I don't want to hear from God, and God says, okay. Then what is going to result is a spiritual famine, the results of which will be far worse than anything that happened in Ethiopia or in North Korea. And if you don't think that's true, you are lying to yourself. You think that America can't become a, a failed state? Of course it can. Do we have some special privilege that other nations don't have? Jesus said this about the Word of God. When Satan challenged him at the mount, Jesus said, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so go ahead, take my food if you want, but if you take the Word of God, if God removes His influence and His voice from your life, that will be far uh, more devastating consequences than you being hungry. Paul warned his disciple Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, the time will come, verses 3 and 4, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and they shall be turned unto fables. That is 2023 in America and in most of the Western world today. The Word of God is being preached. There are still churches on every corner that are still having services and still rolling Easter eggs on Easter Sunday. And that's not evil. However, how many people would rather listen to the lies, the stories that the world is telling to them? You can, you can be any kind of gender you want to be. Oh yeah, men can have periods and babies. Women can compete with men in sports, no problem. Fables, stories, myths, lies that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better. I can continue on lying and cheating. Nobody's going to get in my way. Who's going to find out? And even people who fill pews. You know, the, I thought that the church was supposed to be against abortion. And so we had this great victory last year 
when uh, Roe versus Wade was overturned, right? And, and, and the church was supposed to say yes. And now all of, all of a sudden, this, uh, this, this debate has gone from a federal issue to now a state issue. And now here we have in Florida a governor who actually believes that abortion is evil. He's signing into law a six-week abortion ban. We should be saying, yes, amen. But you know what? He's facing opposition. Not from, not from uh, people who are pro-abortion, but from people who want to say, oh, just need to be a bit more moderate. Let me ask you, why do you think that is? Is it possible that there's still people in church today who are having affairs on the side? And they're saying, you know what? I just want to have an option just in case, so we can't outlaw it here. Are there young women who say, well, you know, I, I don't want to be uh, sexually pure, so, you know, I better make sure I have a good option while I'm going to church on Sunday morning. See what I'm saying? These are the days that we're living in now where the Word of God is still available, but many people would rather listen to their own fables. There is good preaching happening in our world, but I fear that it is not being heeded. You know, the, the pastoral uh, calling used to be something that people looked up to. There was a time in our country when people respected pastors and priests and preachers. When they listened to them, when they spoke. I want to tell you, things have changed. That's not, that's not my, that's not my uh, experience. If you, you ask Pastor Campbell, who's been preaching for 50 years, you'll, you'll get the same answer from him. And what will happen when this sets in is that churches will begin to close their doors. We've seen it happen during COVID, haven't we? They said 30% of churches closed and never opened again. Why? Because the people didn't want to hear. They didn't want to come back. We got used to quarantine. We got comfortable watching church on TV. And even the churches that remain sometimes become empty and devoid of any life. The Bible, the Word of God, becomes a hindrance, a ball and chain. Something I just wish I didn't have to do. So, what are we supposed to do? Let me close and give you some hope this morning. What are we supposed to do in times like these? What are the faithful supposed to do when the summer fruit begins to rot around us? You know, we are a nation that was built and founded on Christian principles. And there was a long time in this country that Christians had the sway and influence. That from the very top, you know, our, our, that we were... That Christianity, the church of Jesus, had great influence and profound impact on the world around us. Do you wonder why we were able to uh, abolish slavery? That started in churches. That started with preaching. That started with Holy Ghost revival, the second great awakening. You wonder why we had a, a suffrage movement and you know, why, why we gained rights and why we, uh, why we have gained so much freedom over the years. And by and large, all of that began in pulpits and in churches before it manifested politically. But I am sad to stand before you this morning and say that I believe that time is no longer. The longer that I live and the more that I live for Jesus, the more I realize we are now living in Babylon. Where the country and the culture and the values around us are not for us, they are against us. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us because Jesus said you'll be in the world but you won't be of this world. 
Christians had it easy for a few hundred years here in America. But now we're getting back to the default setting of we are members, we are citizens of another country that we don't share the same values as this world. And so we have to shift our thinking as believers in this generation. We have to begin to see ourselves as the counterculture. We have to see ourselves as the spiritual insurgents, the revolutionaries. We have to see ourselves as the ones standing in the face of evil when the world around us is jumping off the cliff of unrighteousness. You know, if you stood at the edge of the cliff and said, I'm not jumping, while a horde of people is running past you to jump off the cliff, they might say you're crazy. They might say you're stupid. They might put pressure on you. Why aren't you coming with us? Well, because that way is a cliff. That way is certain death and devastation and destruction. So I have to stand alone. I have to be willing to take the slings and arrows of being different than the rest of you. You've got to gain this mentality as a believer. And so the number one thing that faithful are supposed to do in a generation like this is don't be like the world. And that means being willing to suffer. Are you hearing me? We've got to take on the mentality of Daniel and his three friends. In chapter 3 of the book of Daniel where they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, they said, hey king, you can throw us into the furnace if you want to. We know that God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, O king, we're going to make it clear to you, we will never serve your God. We will never worship your golden statue. We will never do the things that will cause us to violate our faith and our commitment to our Father. Are you willing to remain faithful? Even when it means suffering? This is what separates the wheat from the chaff, the men from the boys the women from the girls, and what it really does is it shows who has real faith and who has only a show, putting on a performance. Think of Noah for a second. (laughs) We went to go visit that big ark down there in, uh, where was it, in Kentucky, right? (laughs) You think about Noah. He stood alone in his generation, him and his family. Hebrews 11, verse 7 says that Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world. So Noah, I'm sure Noah was a nice guy. I'm sure people like like Noah. But you know, there came a time that Noah couldn't just keep on keeping on. God said to Noah, the whole world is about to be destroyed. The only hope is build an ark. Uh, but God, you know, that's, um, that's going to be hard. Yeah. But God, you know, that's going to be expensive. Yeah. But God, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who think I'm crazy. Correct. But he lived. And the human race survived because he was willing to believe God when the rest of the world did not believe. Moses. When he became of age, again from Hebrews 11, refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter, Choosing rather to suffer affliction. That's something so absent, so out of the mind of so many in this generation. Why would you choose to suffer affliction? Why would you choose that? Well, because he looked to the reward. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. 
See, you'll, you'll never choose to suffer without also knowing who God is and knowing what his reward will be. I think of Caleb and Joshua, two of my favorite characters in the Bible. And they were called to serve God while the whole nation around them was backslidden and bitter and acting stupid and worshiping idols. And Caleb and Joshua, they said, we're not going to be like our brothers and sisters. When everyone said, we can't go against them, they are stronger than us, we are like grasshoppers in their eyes, Caleb and Joshua said, let's go at once and take the land. Let's go now. Why not? What holds us back? If God is for us, who can be against us? And the Bible says they tried to kill them for believing God. Will you? Will you be willing to stand up to the powers that be in order to do what is right in the eyes of God? You're going to get more and more pressure in this world that we live. You're going to get more and more. They're going to call you names. They're going to call you phobic. They're going to call you anti-trans. They're going to, uh, you know, they, they, just for overturning Roe versus Wade, you know that they are still protesting in front of the Supreme Court, their houses, to this day. They have unleashed demonic attacks because of that decision. If we are going to survive the judgment that is coming without revival, we also have to put our hope in the promise of God's Word. I want to say, as we close, thank God this is not the end of the story. Because I've preached a lot of difficult things this morning, but I want to give you some hope. Because if you flip the page to chapter 9, listen to what God says. This is Amos 9, verse 11. In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls, and from the ruins I will rebuild it and restore its former glory. Israel will possess what is left of Edom and all the nations I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken, and He will do these things. The time will come, says the Lord, when grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. That sounds pretty good. And the terraced vineyards on the hills of Israel will drip with sweet wine. I will bring my exiled people of Israel back from distant lands. They will rebuild their ruined cities and live in them again. They will plant vineyards and gardens. They will eat their crops and drink their wine. I will firmly plant them their own, uh, there in their own land. They will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord, your God. You want to know how the Word of God is true? There is a nation called Israel today. After 2,000 years of extinction and dispersion and being lost to the sands of time, and all of a sudden, a 2,000 years after Jerusalem was destroyed, a miracle takes place, the world is aligned in a certain way, and God says, here is your land. 1948. Incredible. Who can do that? Who can resurrect a lost nation? God can. But what this really is for us is a reason to put our hope in the eternal kingdom. You know, we, as I said before, we have experienced a lot of blessing in this nation, a lot of prosperity. We live lives that very few people have ever gotten to live on the history of this world. And that is not guaranteed. I wish I could give you better news. There, there is on the horizon economic instability. There is 
there is a conflict in Europe right now between Ukraine and Russia. Russia is being aligned with China. That can't be good news. There is... There are battles being fought right now that if things don't change, man, they could develop into horrible things. There are weapons being pointed at us from space. You think that's, a, that, that's for real? EMPs, we're talking about stuff that w- World War II people uh, couldn't even dream or imagine of. I'm not trying to scare you. I just want you to know the possibilities are right there in front of us that things could quickly change. Are you ready in your heart to keep serving God through the hard times? Are you ready that when the Antichrist comes on the scene and says you can't buy or sell unless you take this mark? Are you ready to say, no, I'm not going to do that? I'm never going to do that. Go ahead and kill me if you want to. The hope is that God has a promise that I have another city for you. I have a time that I will restore, that Jesus will come back, He will establish His throne on the earth, and you and I will be leaders and rulers. We will reign with Him for a thousand years. But you have to remain faithful. Will you remain faithful? When your family, your family rejects you because of Jesus? When things get hard, when sickness kicks in, when... You lose your job. (laughs) I'm trying not to be bleak this morning, but I guess that's how it came out. I want you to have hope that even though there could be bad things on the horizon, our God is bigger than every bad thing. That there is reason to rejoice. There is reason to keep your hope because tomorrow my God is on the throne just like He is today. That Jesus is just as risen from the dead. That means we still have hope. And though there is a world around us like a basket of summer fruit ready to rot before our very eyes, probably already started. I can smell it. But I want to tell you, we can have hope. We have to remain faithful. We have to keep preaching this gospel. We have to be faithful to do what God has called us to do, even if nobody is listening. I think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah, they call him the weeping prophet. He wrote a whole book called Lamentations. Lamenting means he was crying the whole time. He didn't have one convert. Nobody listened to him. But you know what? He was faithful. Will you be faithful? Let's bow our heads. We can close our eyes. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. 
And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.